Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Eruk the end of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. You're listening to the best of the Indo Daily. Today on the Indo Daily, the psychic swindler, the secret villa, and the newspaper investigation he didn't see coming. Tom Colton is a former accountant and property investor, but is better known by his nickname, The Psychic Swindler. He's a medium and he's an accountant. What a great combination. Tom Colton, good morning. As spiritualists, we would believe that when the physical body passes, the spirit body lives on and we can communicate with the spirit body. This year, Colton and his wife Linda reached an agreement in the High Court that saw millions of euro in debt written off. But a twist the psychic didn't predict was an investigation by the Irish Independent. I suppose key to process if you're if you're looking to have millions of euros written off under a personal insolvency arrangement is honesty and, and full disclosure of your assets, uh, income, and liabilities. But but then I discovered that the Coltons had secretly purchased a, uh, a luxury villa in Lanzarote, which they'd never declared. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today I'm joined by the Irish Independence Legal Affairs editor Shane Phelan to tell us about how he uncovered a web of deceit and what happened afterwards. Shane Phelan, Tom Colton is an interesting character in lots of ways. What type of a medium did he claim to be? Tom Colton is is a very interesting character. He's a, a foreign property investor, a former accountant, a rugby referee, but he also claims to be a medium who can speak to the dead or communicate with the dead. Have you ever been to a wedding where the guest list has included spirits of dead loved ones? Tom Colton of the Spiritualist Union of Ireland has just been granted a full licence to perform marriages uh, and he joins me on the line. Tom, good morning to you. Part of his his, uh, his main business, which is providing spiritual wedding services. So if you uh, want to have a, a wedding where your your dear departed auntie uh, can, can come along and uh, uh, enjoy the festivities, um, you know, he's the man that can uh, communicate with her at it and Bring her into the room. Bring her into the room, yeah. That is quite a talent. Yeah, um, I'd be a little bit sceptical about it myself, but um, he certainly believes uh, that there is a spirit world out there and that people can communicate with them. My belief is there's no such thing as an evil spirit. You have troubled spirits like you have troubled people. My belief is that everybody is there to communicate. Some of them may be angry because maybe people are not listening to them, people aren't understanding them, why aren't you talking to me? They feel they're being ignored. And that's where you get the knocking and the banging and the noises and everything going on because they want to let you know that they're around, they're here to communicate. He was, over the years and, and going back, he was a bit of a celebrity in this kind of world. He appeared on shows like Jerry Ryan on 2FM with Gareth O'Callaghan uh, and others. So it's, it's, it's not any sort of a secret thing. This is an advertised business that me or you 
could go and and seek out if we want to speak to a relative who has died. Yes, he's he's um, he's written a book about it. Um, he's gone on the road about it, given talks about it, and uh, you know offers offers this service. And Shane, what kind of a character is Tom Colton from what you know of him? So he, he comes across as, as quite a, uh, I suppose, a confident uh, character, always very well turned out, sharp suit. He also um, was heavily involved in uh, Leinster rugby as a, as a referee and an administrator. This one involved taking charge of uh, a lot of underage and uh, lower level uh, adult games in the Dublin area. And uh, by all accounts, he was, he was pretty indispensable. Um, you know, he was the guy that organised where the referees went and uh, there, would, there wasn't a game that he wouldn't uh, referee himself. Sometimes there would be a shortage of referees and, and Tom would, would always have uh, put up his hand, uh, according to people who, uh, who know him. And what about family? Well, he's married, um, he's a number of children, and um, he's uh, living in County Kildare. But back in 2015, he ran into trouble that resulted in our colleagues in the Sunday world dubbing him the Psychic Swindler. How did he get that nickname? Tom Colton, I suppose, um, the day job for, for uh, most of his adult life was, was that of an, an accountant. He was a chartered accountant. And he had uh, some clients, an elderly couple from County Cabin, who had to make a tax settlement. And they gave him uh, a lot of money. Uh, to make that tax settlement and uh, it, it later turned out that instead of passing all that money on to the revenue he diverted 322,000 of it to um, an account in the United States for his own purposes um, he ended up getting um, uh, convicted of this in what a judge described as an extraordinary dishonest and, uh, and fraudulent and coldly calculated act it was only a couple of years later actually that the, uh, the, the couple actually had found out you know, what had happened and eventually caught up with him. And this is how he got the nickname, the Psychic Swindler. And did he serve time in jail for that? He was sentenced to four years in prison um, and uh, the last 18 months of that were suspended. Um, so he did spend a, a period of time in jail and he was also restricted as a company director as a result of the uh, crime of, dis- of dishonesty. Shane, I imagine being a medium um is a niche market. You mentioned, obviously, his accountancy work, but he also got involved in property as a way of making money. Yeah, and uh, I think we can probably trace back a lot of his problems to his involvement in property. For example, the uh, the theft from the elderly couple, um, it happened about a month after he be, he was involved in the launch of a, a major property development in the Car- on the Caribbean island of St. Lucia. It was meant to be a 600 million euro property development. And this was back in 2005. Um, there was a very glitzy launch in Dublin, uh, attended by St. Lucia's then Prime Minister, Kenny Anthony, and uh, Damien Duff, the, you know, the uh, Irish former soccer star, yeah, former international. Now, ultimately, Duff, uh, you know, he washed his hand, ended up washing his hands of the, of the project and didn't invest, but uh, lots of other people did. There was uh, around 30 other Irish investors who provided uh, over 2 million euro in seed capital for this plan. It was going to be apartments, townhouses and hotels. And I suppose if people cast their minds back, Kevin, this is around the height of the property madness when people were buying apartments in Bulgaria and far-flung places. So this was not unusual at the time. Yeah, it didn't stand out as a as a kind of a wild project. It wasn't the Springfield monorail, for example. No, it wasn't. Um, but uh, like a lot of these projects, um, things turn sour. Uh, the company behind the project dissolves. The, the whole thing basically went south. Now, Col- Colton was uh, pursued about this afterwards. But what was his role in a chain? He was basically a promoter in it. We're not 
entirely clear as to the extent of which his, his own money was involved in it. And he was pursued afterwards um, in relation to what, you know, by, by, by the media in, in relation to what happened to the money that was put forward. And he insisted that so investors got was, their money back. He was going out and trying to get investors to get people to put cash on the table mm-hmm. to invest in this uh, these apartments and, and buildings yeah. with the view to selling them or renting them or having some sort of a a financial return. A lot of people would have probably invested for pension purposes or something. Exactly, yeah, yeah. A little nest egg. Uh, about 30 Irish investors uh, got involved at the time. About 2.3 million was put in. And what was the fallout for Tom Colton when it all went, as did many of these projects, to be fair, during that Celtic Tiger era, when it didn't go the way that presumably he and all those investors had hoped? Uh, so we're, we're not entirely clear as to, you know, what um, the financial fallout for uh, was him but we do know from the case um, where, where he took the money from the elderly couple that uh, he claimed to have been under enormous pressure in and around that time. He had claims that certain creditors had, were demanding repayments of debts from him in a menacing way and that he, he feared for the safety of his family. So in February of this year, Shane, the psychic swindler is before the courts looking for a debt deal. Tom Colton and his wife Linda had significant debts. Things had reached a stage where they basically were insolvent and uh, or claimed to be insolvent. Couldn't pay what was due. They uh, both applied for personal insolvency arrangements and uh, these were approved by the High Court in February. What type of money are we talking about? So in Tom Colton's, Colton's case, he had 2.7 million euro in debt written off. Uh, in his wife's case, it was around 2 million and as part of the deal, they basically got to keep their family home. So they would have owed 680,000 euro on the family home. And the uh, the mortgage lender agreed to write off about 40,000 euro of this and give them a new mortgage term, 22 years, and uh, you know a very attractive tracker rate to make things sustainable. So significant write-downs, their debt, a new mortgage, and hope for the future. Now, people will hear that and go, wait, now, how do you get that much money written off, to stay in your family home, to get your house remortgaged. Uh, you know, anyone who's ever had a credit union loan uh, has felt the pressure of having to repay it or a car loan. So how does that work? Basically, I suppose, Kevin, this, this was a mechanism that was brought in after the, in the aftermath of the financial crash in the late noughties. There was fears of, uh, you know, there would be a repossession crisis and uh, a number of mechanisms were brought in where people could seek protection from their creditors to deal with their debts. And one of them was a PIA, a personal insolvency arrangement. And uh, the main feature of this, I suppose, is that the aim was to keep people in their family homes. Look, it's all very well and good having people bankrupted and that sort of thing, but they lose their homes, they lose everything, and they've nowhere to live and they're a burden on the state. So it's about safeguarding people's homes, but also it's seen as being for the better good of society. Uh, You've covered this extensively in in the Irish Independent. Give us some of the, come Tom Colton aside, but give us some of the kinds of people that you've come across in the courts who've done these kind of deals. There's been over 6,000 of them since the, the, the law was introduced, over 900 last year. The cases that tend to catch the eye are the, the larger ones or the ones involving more high-profile individuals. So I think the largest one I've come across was uh, one involving 133 million euro in debt uh, that was written off for um, former Irish rugby international Pat Whelan from um, 
from Limerick, um, he got into financial difficulty. Uh, he he was involved in heavily in, in property investment. More recently, we would have had the case of um, Frank McNamara and Theresa Lowe, who would be very well known. And from Newtown, Mount Kennedy County, Wicklow, it's the Larkins with team captain John, Olive, Moret and Frank. Uh, Frank and McNamara from his time uh, as musical director of The Late Late Show and Theresa Lowe, she's a barrister, but also... Uh, would have been the host of a, a very popular quiz show a, a number of years ago. Where, where, where in the world? world? Just before Glen Row on a Sunday night. Exactly, yeah. They uh, got a write-down which saw 1.7 million, million euro written off their mortgage balance of uh, uh, of 2.2 uh, million euros. It was a very, very difficult time. But we were lucky that a, a solution could be found and was found. And if there's anybody listening now who are struggling with debt, you know, do get help. People have killed themselves over things like this. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's hard. And there are solutions there. There always is a solution. Frank McNamara has spoken, I suppose, of uh, the stress of it and, 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 and so on. And uh, he's urged people, look, if you do get in trouble, go and talk to somebody. It's not the end of the world. But on that chain, you keep talking about millions and uh, big mortgages. Can somebody who's on a more standard, maybe a uh, 200, 300, 400,000 mortgage and finds that they've got themselves into trouble. Can they go and avail of this kind of a deal? Yeah, they can certainly uh, go and, and, and see and check it out. I interviewed the uh, head of the Insolvency Service of Ireland, uh, Michael McNaughton, recently. And uh, a point he made was that, look, people read the newspapers and they see uh, high-profile cases. But he says that for every high-profile case, there's 10 pretty ordinary mortgage holders who got in trouble through no fault of their own. And uh, this offers them a solution and a way of uh, returning them to solvency. So back to Tom Colton then. In February, he gets one of these PIAs. It all seems wrapped up, like some of the cases you mentioned there, and um, put on a sustainable footing. And in essence, he should have been able to get on and stay in his family home and continue with his with his work. But in April, you started investigating the deal that he got and some other information that you learned about. Tell us about your investigation. So basically, I started looking into um, Tom Colton's property assets. I discovered that there was a holiday villa in Lanzarote uh, in the resort of Playa Blanca uh, that he and his wife had bought in a, purchased in their own names in September of last year. I cross-referenced this with, with basically what had been disclosed to the court and there was no reference to it at all. All very curious. So I dug a little bit deeper and um, the uh, land registry records in Spain basically showed that this property had been purchased with a mortgage uh, from a, a Spanish lender, a uh, €178,000 mortgage. Uh, in September last year, just two weeks before uh, Tom Colton and his wife swore what are known as prescribed financial statements. Now, these are your assets, income, liabilities, all of that important financial information that has to be provided to creditors and to the court as part of the uh, personal insolvency process. And the deal is, just so we're clear, if you're going to get one of these, you have to put everything on the table. You have to tell the court of every penny you have and every bit of income and every liability you have. And from that, then a deal is agreed. Honesty is the highest prerequisite. Under a PIA, 
all the assets that a debtor has have to be brought to bear. And this wasn't any kind of ordinary property investment either, Kevin. This is a five-bedroom uh, villa, private swimming pool, hot tub. You know, it's in a very, very, very much sought after uh, uh, area of a tourist resort. It's been rented out uh, at the moment for about 2,400 euros a week as well. So significant returns would be expected on it. So after we published our story in April, the personal and sovereignty practitioner in the case, Eugene McDarby, uh, who had been completely unaware of this property, he went to the High Court and um, there's a mechanism under the Act where a personal and sovereignty practitioner, if they uh, find that, look, they haven't been provided with full and frank information, they can go to the court and seek determination of a personal insolvency arrangement. I was going to say to you, as part of your investigation into this, I presume you had to go and put what you had discovered to Tom Colton. That's correct. Um, in response to queries from me, he basically said that he and his wife were not the beneficial owners of the property. And he, he claimed that they were holding it uh, in trust. But he wouldn't tell me who the beneficiary was, uh, wouldn't provide any trust documents uh, or anything uh, you know, to substantiate what he was saying. So when the matter came to court, uh, they filed affidavits and essentially their story is in a nutshell um, that they were acting as trustees for a company called Graw August Sullis, that they weren't benefiting uh, themselves from it. But when you delve a little deeper, you see that Graw August Sullis is basically the company through which the couple organized their um, uh, wedding solemnizer business. Tom Colton's wife, Linda Colton, is the 100% shareholder in that company. He himself uh, was a listed as a director under his Irish name, quite, quite interestingly, for a period of around two years, coincidentally a period when he was actually, should have been restricted from being a company director. As a result of his conviction. As a result of his the, conviction. The swindle of the older couple. Yeah, as, as a result of that. Uh, and also uh, quite clear from the affidavits that he was uh, had, had a hands-on role in the business. The judge who heard the case, he basically looked at this, it was pretty clear to him that these were personal solvency arrangements that could not could not stay in place bringing it all back to what do you need to do under the personal insolvency process you need to be honest you need to put all your cards on the table and the judge said they did not put their cards on the table so what happens for the coltons now if the pia has been removed from them what what happens well they're back at square one the the write-offs they got um and we remind listeners that these were significant, 2.7 million in the case of Tom Colton, 2 million in the case of his uh, his wife, uh, Linda Colton. Uh, they no longer apply. So they're on the hook for those debts now. They could potentially face bankruptcy. And do we know, are they still renting out the home in Spain? Are they still running the wedding business? As of today, the um, property in Spain, it's, it's available for rent online. The uh, their business, um, I'm not I'm not aware uh, as to the, the strength or otherwise of the uh, of the uh, the weddings business, but uh, I don't have any information to suggest that it's not running as well. And you've reported as well, Shane, that the Gardaí are now getting involved. Yes, yeah, so this is another element to it. Um, Gardaí from the uh, corporate enforcement agency, they've initiated an investigation, and this is on foot of information that emerged in the High Court that uh, uh, Tom Colton was listed as a company director while restricted from doing so. So 
and uh, it's an offence uh, to to act as a, a director while restricted. A person found guilty of acting as a director while restricted can face a fine of up to five thousand euro as and uh, a prison term of up to six months. There is some explanation from Tom Colton about this. Um, there was correspondence um, uh, exhibited in the High Court in which he claimed that uh, he didn't know about his restriction and that uh, he immediately contacted his solicitor um, and resigned once he became aware of this. But that was, I suppose, two years, almost two years uh, of a period where he was listed as being a director and uh, quite possibly shouldn't have been. Well, Shane, we shall watch and see what happens with that story, but it's clear that your investigation has certainly sparked something and set a precedent in the courts. Thank you for joining us today. My thanks to Shane Phelan for joining me today. I'm Kevin Doyle and today's episode was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips were from 4FM, RTE 2FM, Spin 1038 and BBC Radio Ulster. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. 